Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Well, Happy New Year's. All right. You, you are having it. It's a great start to the new year if you're here this morning. And uh, I am excited to kick off the New Year's with you guys. It's a little smaller crowd, but it's, it's okay. It's all right. Hey, I want to share a few stories this morning that uh, some early experiences of mine that really propelled me and our family to fall in love with this church. Uh, the first story is about the very, very first time that we came to Antioch. It was about eight years ago. It was Julie, myself, and at that time, it was just our, our son, Brennan. He was a couple years old, and we were meeting at East Cary Middle School. For those of you who remember East Cary Middle School, and it was about the size, you know, in terms of people there. Uh, and I do remember Brad Jackson welcome, welcoming us in the foyer area. I remember Holly, where's Holly? Holly Barton, very welcoming. Uh, what I do distinctly remember specifically was before the, the, the sermon, there was an invitation like we do all the time to fill out like a little connect card. And I remember having this internal dialogue. Like, and I confess it was, it was probably a bit skeptical, a bit cynical. I'm thinking, do I really want to fill this out? This is just like a churchy thing to do. And oh, okay, all right, I'll fill it out, whatever. Well, sure enough, uh, the next day I'm at work, I, I get an email from, from Pastor Colby. And a lot of you know Pastor Colby was our, our lead pastor, started the church. And he was briefly like, hey, look, let's go grab some coffee, love to meet up. And I, I got the email, and again, I'm having this internal dialogue. Like, oh, he's just doing the pastor thing. Like, he's just being pastor in church. I don't know if, I, okay, sure, what not. Let's, let's, go, let's go grab coffee. And the next day, we went to Starbucks. It was off P Street. And for like three hours, <laughs> three hours, we're just sharing stories. He's sharing his heart. He's sharing, you know, how, he came, how they came from Africa to here to plant a church. And this passion to see disciples made, to see the gospel preached. And I'm thinking, again, I'm having this internal dialogue, like, wow, like, I wish I would have known this guy for years. I mean, like, he's like a, a long lost brother. I really am enjoying his heart and I'm sharing my story. And we get near the end of our conversation and he, he's like, hey, I, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to hang out again. I'd love to, let's get together again. Let, let's pray, let's get in the word. And in so many words, he was inviting uh, me to, to, to a discipleship relationship. And I, I, I ha unfortunately had to tell him, I said, hey, look, like our family is still at this other church. We're still, we still have responsibilities there. We're, we were just visiting Antioch. I, I can't give, I can't tithe, I can't promise any service, any deposits into Antioch. And I'll, I'll never forget what he said. He said, hey, that's okay. I, I would still love to meet. I'd still love to get together with you. And it was at that moment I began to realize that, that discipleship, it was more than just a tagline for, for this guy. It was more than just uh, a, a good sermon material. Like, it 
was a core value of this man and what I've become to learn, this church. Well, fast forward a couple months. Uh, we, we were visiting here and there, and I had heard that there was you know, a group of folks that got together to pray uh, so, uh, Sunday mornings before the service starts. A lot of churches do this. I wanted to go. I've, I've been a part of a lot of prayer meetings and prayer conferences, and I showed up, and, and it was, uh, it was Brad, Brad was there, and it was Jesse Harris, and, and for the next hour, for the next hour, eight o'clock before the service, I got to witness, got to, to listen and to hear just this passionate cry for revival, this passionate plea, God, let your kingdom come, not just for, for the service, but for praying for revival for, for the city, for the nation. And I, I just remember looking over at Evan, and, and he, was, he was still in college, and I was, I was probably in my upper 20s, and I'm thinking there was this holy envy, this holy jealousy, like, oh, I, I used to pray like that. Oh, I want that in my life. And I began to realize that prayer and pursuing the presence of God through prayer and intercession, it, it wasn't just a, a, a tagline for the church. It was something that these, these men, they carried. They carried. I'll, I'll share one more story. It was... After about a year or so, our family had finally and had fully began to make this our home church, and we began to, uh, not just as a church, but as the world began to um, become awakened to this international crisis. Some of you probably remember the Syrian refugee crisis, and it wasn't just Syrians, but there were thousands, thousands of folks from the Middle East who were who were fleeing their lives because of the the horrible things that were taking place, the terrorism, they were fleeing for their lives and they were going into parts of Europe, Germany, Greece. And our church, which is part of a, a larger network of churches, Antioch Community Churches, there's 40, 40 US churches, there's over close to 100 international churches. We begin to look at the news, we begin to pray and say, God, is there something that we can do? And within months, within months, we mobilized this whole network of churches, mobilized, I think it was like thousands. Steve, do you remember how many? Like It was like 3,000. It was like thousands of missionaries, not just from this Antioch, but all the Antiochs came together for a summer to preach the gospel, to sow seeds of, of hope to tens and thousands of predominantly Muslims who have never heard the gospel before, we would never be able to get to them in their home country, and we were able to just spend months over the summer uh, making disciples, preaching the gospel. And to this day, there are churches planted. There are bases still there in Europe. And I share this story because it was, it's another story about how this, this, this body, this movement, it didn't just have a tagline of preaching the gospel. It was a core value. It was a core value. I guess if I could boil it all down to the legacy of, of, of this church, our legacy is going to come down to a relentless pursuit of a handful of simple yet incredibly powerful core values. The legacy of this church, it's going to come down to just the pursuit of just a handful of very, they're very, very simple, but they're incredibly powerful core values. 
Every year, we as a church, we, we believe it's incredibly important to be intentional about looking, to take a step back, to kind of pause, and, 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 and even before we get into too much of, of the, the new year and get so busy and, and so distracted about great things, and there are certainly going to be great things. There will probably be things that vie for our attention, and it's going to be tumultuous at times, but we have to pause and say, Lord, let's refocus our attention on what really matters. Now, when we talk about core values, I, I, I want to define, what do I mean when I say core values? These are the things that we treasure most. This is what we're most passionate about. This is, this is why we do what we do. It's the things that make us tick. It's when we talk about our core values, we're really looking at who we are deep on the inside. Core values, they, they determine, there's a lot of talk about like mission and vision and strategy and culture. Well, all of that stuff comes out of the core values that you have. In addition, when we talk about core values, everyone's got them. I got them. You got them. Family's got them. Marriages got them. Churches got them. Organizations got them. Businesses got them. Every institution has core values. Whether you talk about them or not, whether you codify them or not, whether that you're aware of them or not, you have core values. They come out of, of how you organize your life, what you put your time to, what you put your money to, your energy. And lastly, when we talk about core values, we're not talking about merely beliefs. Beliefs are, they're important. They, they can fuel and they can inform core values, but core values transcend beliefs. I can believe that fasting is very, very important, but if I never fast, I don't value fasting. I can believe that making disciples is really important. But if I reflect at the last year and I didn't disciple anyone, then guess what? I don't value discipleship. I don't value it. So there, there's a, you have to understand there's a distinction, an important difference between our beliefs, important, but we're talking about core values here, what we actually do. And so that's, that's the goal of our, us as leaders, as one of your pastors, as your pastors, and as our leadership team, is to equip you to be value carriers. Value carriers. I remember Colby always used to say, we gotta get back to the core values. We gotta preach the core values. He used to talk about it all the time. And now I get it. It's like, yes, let's get back to the, the, the purity. There's that verse in 2 Corinthians, and simplicity, that word simplicity means the singleness Let's get back to that, what really, really matters. And so our goal this morning is, and, and really for this month, is that we want to talk, we want to focus on our core values. What are they? Let's understand them, and let's hold our own core values up in accordance, up against Scripture, and where there's a discrepancy, where there's a disconnect, by the grace of God, let's, let's do it everything we can by God's Holy Spirit to change that. Okay? All right. So we can all agree that there's one person above all persons that perfectly reveals to us what our core values should be, right? It's Jesus. And thankfully, we have this amazing access, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life and ministry of Jesus to know 
what he valued. What were his core values? So I, I would like to do this. I, I'd, I'd like to just pause just for a moment and give you an opportunity, just, just a minute, to think and ponder this question. What did Jesus value? What were his core values? So I, want, I really, literally want us, we're going to pause just for a moment. And if you have notes, I encourage you to just make a list. How, think back to your knowledge of the scriptures or what you know about Jesus. And just think, what were Jesus' core values? Okay? We're going to give you a moment. I'm going to allow all the, the internal processors just to think, just for a second here. So literally, go ahead and do that. If you don't have pen and paper, just think through. Well, what did Jesus really value? What did he spend a lot of his time doing? What did he think was incredibly important? I'm going to give you a minute. All right. Do we have a couple of volunteers who are willing to raise their hand? I'll call on you. What does Jesus really value? Josiah. relationship with his father, time and prayer. That's really good. Yes, sir. Redemption. You could say that was really why he came, right? That, that was his whole reason for coming. He values redemption, seeing us redeemed. Is there another? Yes. He valued teaching. He, one of the main ways he ministered was through teaching of the kingdom of God. That's really good. Anything else? What else did he value? Anna. Healing. One of the primary ways. We're going to talk about all of these, by the way. You guys are great students. He valued healing. Seeing people healed. Got one more? Yes. Steve. All right. Do you know how he, maybe a way he demonstrated that? Love for each other? Yeah. Ultimately, going all the way to the cross. He loved each other. These are great. These are really good. I'm going to share with you, it's not, a, it's not an exhaustive list, and surely there may be some that you can think of that I, I didn't think of, but I want to just go through some core values, some core values of Jesus, and before we do this, I, I have a two, two preface points. Number one, I want to encourage you, have a heart of eagerness to learn from the master, from the master himself. He made it so clear. And then secondly... May there be a, a grace of teachability as we look at Jesus and his values. And as we, I know when I went through some of these, I, I immediately saw some of the disconnect. May there be a grace to allow the Holy Spirit just to, just to gently, kindly impress upon our hearts areas or ways where we're not valuing what he values. All right? Number one, and, and let's go right back to what Josiah said. I propose to you this is the most important value of Jesus is that he valued communion and intimacy with his Father. He said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And how did he demonstrate it? How did he demonstrate his value for intimacy? Josiah, you said it again. He spent time with him. He spent personal undistracted, undivided time with his Father. I love these verses. There's a hand, just about all the Gospels references these very subtle, 
They're very, we quickly go over them. But Mark, let's look at Mark 1.35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Matthew said this, something similar in Matthew 14, 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to binge on Netflix. No, that's what I would have done after a long day. No, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Luke, in addition, Luke had something to say. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus himself, I love this, would often would often, there's this habitual practice. He would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Do we, do we often slip away to spend time with our Father? He knew that the secret to life was the secret place with his Father. He was convinced that the power of heaven was unlocked on earth when he devoted himself to the secret place. He realized that communion with his father was the key to positioning himself to true kingdom fruitfulness. Do we value time with our father as Jesus did? Do you often slip away? This is, I know many of you have New Year's goals, New Year's resolutions. This is, I don't care if you have, you've, you've had a great year spending time with God, like you could always go, Lord, there's more, right? There's more. I want this year, Lord, I, I want to find you again. I want to discover you again in the secret place. This was the secret for his life, was the secret place. He valued time with his father. What else did Jesus value? Jesus, from this place of intimacy, he valued obedience to the father. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here. And I want you to notice there's a connection between the nearness to the Father and then how obedience flowed out of it. John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Whatever, from the place of seeing, closeness, nearness to what the Father was doing, Jesus did. Look at John 12, 49. I don't speak of my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Whatever Father wants me to say, I say it. Lastly, John 8, 29. And he who sent me is, he's with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus wanted to do what Father wanted him to do. He wanted to say what Father wanted him to say. He wanted to please his Father through obedience. Jesus, he valued obedience. Now, historically, Christians have a very, very tricky relationship with obedience. We get in all sorts of trouble when we talk about obedience the wrong way. So I'm going to give you three ways that we get obedience wrong. Here's one way. Obedience without love. Obedience that's void of relationship. What does that turn into? Legalism, burnout, going through the motions. That's, sadly, a lot of the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Then there's love or relationship without obedience. We equate obeying God merely as, I, 
I love God, he loves me faith. It's easy believism. Some of you are familiar with hyper grace movement or liberal Christianity where we take out all the parts of the Bible we don't like, the hard sayings of Jesus. And we go, oh, I don't know about that. And then lastly, there's knowledge without obedience. Oh, we have so many access. Like this, the church today, we are the most knowledged church in the history of the church. All our books, all our podcasts, seminaries, great things, great gifts. But we can actually convince ourselves that if we've intellectually ascended to understanding, then we know it. We're doing it. We got it. Thomas Akempis, he's an old dead guy, really good guy. He says, what availeth us if we know the mysteries of the Trinity, yet lack love and so displease the Trinity? A couple years ago, the Lord began to reveal to me that I had a, this is a weird idol. Here's a weird one. I had an idol for spiritual knowledge, for spiritual growth, spiritual formation, which for some people, you're like, that's great. I want to grow. I'm just like, well, for me, it was like just more books, more knowledge, more podcasts. I got to know, I got to know, I got to know. And finally, the, I just was, the Lord was able to gently tell me, Ben, 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 you are more passionate about you knowing something than you knowing me. And to this day, to this day, I... I when I'm, I find myself in my time with him, just rushing through material, rushing through pot, ascertaining knowledge, I have to go, pause. I need to be still. This is relationship. I need to slow down. I need to hear his voice. What D- Jesus demonstrated was a life of love-filled obedience. Jesus valued an obedience to the Lord. What else did Jesus value? He valued the scriptures. He valued the scriptures. Now, there's a whole bunch of places in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the Bible. For instance, he's, he's talking with the Pharisees, and he's saying, the scriptures cannot be broken. Uh, there's that time when he's in the wilderness, and he's combating Satan, and he says, for it is written. He's, he's talking with the disciples, and remember that time he says, oh, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill all of it, Right? But here's my favorite. Here's my favorite passage of of Jesus and his value for the scriptures. This one doesn't get talked about a lot. It's very subtle. It's in Luke 4. Remember that story where Jesus is, he's come home to Nazareth. He's at his own synagogue. And what gets a lot of attention when we read this story is the part where he unrolls the scroll and he goes, I've come, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, you know, cleanse leper. Like there's that famous passage, right? But notice what it says in Luke 4. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He's in Nazareth, right? He's in the backwoods. It's like you ever drive to the beach or the mountains, and you're like two hours out of Raleigh, and you start seeing like these old-timey churches. They're kind of like empty they got like these cheesy signs on it. Like seven days without prayer makes one week. And you're like, that's like 50 years old. Let's get a new sign here. Like these old, like that's, that's Nazareth. And he's, and picture, Jesus, what did John call Jesus? John called Jesus the word. 
He's the word. Notice the irony here. The word of God, Jesus incarnate, the word incarnate, as was his custom, is in probably the most beat up synagogue. Saturday after Saturday. Do you think he had some pretty dry, boring rabbis teach the word to him? I'm sure he had that. And yet, as his custom, he submitted to the preaching of the word. I love that. The word of God himself coming under the preaching of some rabbis. Jesus had a custom. He valued the word. He had a custom with the word. Do you have a custom with the word of God? What else did Jesus value? He valued serving and ministering to others. You can't talk about how he ministered to others without talking about how he loved to heal people. It's like one of his go-to ways was to demonstrate supernatural healing. I believe, I struggle with functional atheism when it comes to sickness. What do I mean by that? When I'm sick or when someone else is sick, I tend to counsel myself or that other person, minister that person, through the top 10 natural remedies. Hey, did you go to the doctor? Hey, did you, get, did you take medicine? Hey, you get some sleep? You know, hours later, oh yeah, did, did you pray? Did I pray? I, I eventually get to that. And it's not intentional, it's just that I'm, I'm functionally an atheist sometimes. When it comes to ministering, whether it's to myself or to other people, I, I, I stole this, I steal this from Steve. Steve, he would say, Steve, Pastor Steve, he would say, have you taken your gospel today? Your gospel, like he, he would say that. He's like, hey, let's, let's, when we're sick or when we see someone sick, what, what's our first go-to? Yeah, like, yeah, of course, go to a doctor. Yes, yes, take meds, do all that stuff. But are we, are we first and foremost, hey, Jesus, come bring your healing. Jesus, he valued healing. He valued seeing people set free. You know, another reason, another way you see Jesus valuing ministering to others is take a look at how many miracles were the result of an inconvenience. Yes, there were times when Jesus sought out someone to heal them. But do a study in all the miracles. There's tons of miracles where Jesus was on his way and he gets interrupted or inconvenienced, as you might think, stopped by a leper, stopped by a woman, stopped by someone with a miracle. I love that about Jesus. And he never, 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 mm, busy, I got ministry, gotta go, see ya. He never did that. What did he do? He stopped every time. He served them by, he would listen to them. He would empathize with their plot. he provide a miracle. What if the broken car, the delayed flight, the unexpected trip to Harris Teeter is more about putting you face-to-face -face with someone who needs an encounter with Jesus. Take it a step further. What about the type of people Jesus valued? There's a, there's a string of chapters in the Gospel of Luke. When you look at the type of people Jesus ministered to, it's a theme. If Craig was here, our Luke scholar, he would, he would say, that's right, Ben. There's a theme within Luke. Jesus loved, he loved everyone, but he, he valued, in this, in this, we see this in this order, he valued the, the leper, the paralytic, 
Levi, the tax collector, he valued, there was the man with the withered hand. There was the Gentile soldier, the women of ill repute, the widow. Those are all in order. Boom, 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 boom. Luke's telling us something that Jesus values. He values the poor, the marginalized, the broken, the widow. He, he spent time with them. I'd like to think that I value that. If I'm honest, if I define values by what I spend time with, what I give my time and energy to, then I don't value that. That's, that's an area that I struggle with, and I'm saying, Lord, help me make it a value. Jesus valued people. Jesus valued close-knit community and authentic relationships. He could have done this whole plan of redemption thing by himself. He could have done it. It would have been more efficient if he just came and did it all by himself. But what did he do? He chose to do it all in the context of a very diverse group of followers. People that he would open up his heart to. He even invited in, in this closest group one who would utterly betray him. Do we value community that much that we're willing to risk forming relationships with fallen people who will most definitely disappoint us? Many of us, we get hurt by like Judas, and then we church hop for a while. Jesus valued community. Do we value giving people permission to speak into our lives, to hold us accountable? He valued authentic relationships. Let me a couple more, real quick. Jesus valued making disciples. One of the major thrusts of his entire, entire ministry, more than building crowds, was mentoring and investing into a select few. These disciples would go on to serve the leadership of the church that would be born following Pentecost. Do we Value making disciples. How many people last year did you disciple? If you did one, that's great. You value disciple making. If you didn't disciple anyone, you may believe disciple making is important, but it's not a value. Lastly, Jesus valued preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was on mission. He proclaimed the news wherever he went. It was paramount. He was eager to preach the gospel. Are we eager to preach the gospel and share the gospel? How sensitive are we to the conversations we have with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family? Jesus valued preaching the kingdom. Now, I'm going to give a, an outline up here that summarizes it. There you go. All right. If you've been part of Antioch, you could break it down into three simplified values. It's loving God, it's loving others, it's making disciples. And of course, you could fill that with even more subpoints. I'm sure you guys have some. But our core values as a people are to love, we're to love God, we're to love others, we're to make disciples. We're to love God, we're to, we're to love others, we're to make disciples. And this week, and, and for the next several weeks, this month at least, we are going to go through a handful of these and we're going to renew our vows to Jesus. Jesus, am I chasing what matters? So what I'd like to do, just as a way to close our time together, is I, I'd like to, for us to invite Holy Spirit to do personal Holy Spirit inventory and ask Jesus this question. Lord, am I valuing this the way that you're valuing it? 
Do I value time with the Father like you value? You may ask the Lord, is there any values that you're lacking? Is there any value that he wants to strengthen this year? And we're going to take just a couple minutes, and I really just, just give Holy Spirit permission just to search your hearts. We can, yeah, we can leave that list up there and just say, Lord, what is there a value? What am I, what am I not what, have I, what haven't I done this year that I know is dear to your heart that you are calling and inviting me to? This isn't about condemnation. This is about invitation. He's inviting us to value what he values. So I'm going to pray, and we're just going to, you guys can stay seated and just take a minute or two. Warren's going to lead us in a little music. Jesus, we thank you that you make it so ever clear what you value and what's on your heart. We want to take a couple minutes this morning to take personal inventory. May the values of our heart line up with your values. We're not going to rush here. We're just going to take a couple minutes just to listen. Journal if you need to. your values, we pray now for the grace that empowers us to align our hearts to your heart. 
pray that you'd give us the self-control, the courage, and the wisdom to do whatever it takes, God, to love you, to love others, and to make disciples this year, Lord. We pray that this year would be a year where we become a people of value-carrying presence, Lord. We carry your presence. We carry your values wherever we go. Thank you, Lord.